Hey everybody, I'm Coots. And I'm Conan. Hey everybody, I am with my partner in crime, Dr. Jeff Conan. Today we're going to be talking about strategic clarity. I want to just start by giving an example that I recently read. So as a as someone who's into leadership, I think everybody knows that. And I like to read a lot about not only the research on, on leadership, but just historical perspectives. And I, I recently read this little excerpt in this book I was reading on leadership. They were talking about Napoleon Bonaparte. And apparently one of the things that Napoleon Bonaparte was famous for doing was every time he would enter the war room or a strategic council with his generals and, and, and main uh, military campaign leaders, he would always bring in with him a low-ranking officer who normally would not be a part of this and not even have access to this level of leadership and, and these leaders. And he would bring a low-ranking officer under the guise that this, this officer, this low-ranking officer, would be polishing his boots during the meetings. That's when he would sit and be still and take his boots. Anyways, so this guy I think is thinking he's there for no other reason than to polish Napoleon's boots. And, and and they're going through then this strategic military campaign and the plans and the actions and, and they're doing all the details of the plan planning. And then Napoleon, knowing full well that this officer is in the room eavesdropping on the whole conversation, even though he's just instructed to polish his boots. Well, what would happen is then, what, how, how I read it is then after every one of these meetings, the, Napoleon would be walking to wherever he's going to next and, and getting his boots back from this officer, would always ask this officer if what he had overheard was made sense. Of course, there was a little game playing there. Napoleon acted like, I know you were eavesdropping, and he would say he wasn't, and blah, blah, blah. But eventually they got to the point where, well, did it make sense or not? And if it made sense to this low ranking officer and he could understand and repeat back the instructions in a, in a legible, you know, in, in an understandable way, Napoleon knew it was a good plan and how historians record it is if this low ranking officer couldn't remember or didn't know or didn't understand, or there was any kind of lack of clarity or fogginess on any details or strategy Napoleon canceled the military campaign. It was back to the drawing board. It wasn't a good plan. And historians cite, and that's not the only reason, but they cite that reason as one of the reasons Napoleon was so successful is because he was very, very intentional about his plans being crystal clear and there being a, a clarity factor in all the decisions. And if it couldn't be understood by everybody at different ranks, who had different skin in the game than it wasn't worth doing for him. And I thought, man, that is a powerful illustration for how leaders should be, especially in a world that we are in now. And you, you know, we've talked about this many times, Jeff, the VUCA world, the turbulent world, the complex world, all those kinds of things. And with things so disrupted the way they are, clarity matters. Clarity matters a lot. And uh, so I wanted to throw that example out there and, and say, one, one of the things we need to do as leaders or one people who are aspiring to be leaders is we have to make double, triple, quadruple sure that the people who are on our teams and the people who our ideas impact actually understand what's going on. So it's two things. It's not only clarity, but it's also transparency. 
of, of the ideas and the plans. So I wanted to throw that out there as an example and just see see what, what strikes you and, and what you bite on about that, if it makes sense to you or not. Yeah, it's a great communication strategy, right? And, and um, you know, there's a cliche that people say often that communication is a two-way street. And what that means is, you know, if you are saying something verbally or putting something in writing, that it's only effective if the party on the other end can understand and comprehend the message that you're conveying. And what I find is really, really interesting is it's actually an art that we don't practice enough, if at all, right? I've gone to various types of conferences and, and workshops uh, where we do strategic planning. And sometimes we practice that art of listening and retaining something we heard because not many of us are very good at that. But if you think about, sometimes we talk about effectiveness of learning material. So for example, they said, you know, if, you, if you're lectured to, you might retain 5% of what you hear. And then ultimately when you get to a discussion demonstration or you actually practice it yourself and maybe even teach it yourself, you retain 90% more of that content. You, you become more um, comprehensively well-rounded in that material than just the lecture you, you retained it from. But what we don't do is look at this on the other end. How do you know that the party on the other end, when you've gotten to that 90% point of delivering the message, they're back to the 5% of the lecture of hearing it from you. So what do you do to enhance the comprehension on their end to retain what you're saying. And that's one person. So like you alluded to in that example, now you have different people at different stages of learning and hearing what you're saying, right? We talk about this often, Matt, when we speak to international audiences that in the US, we might put a bullet point on the slide and we're told not to read the bullet point word for word, but elaborate off of it, use it as a trigger or starting point for a conversation piece. But when you speak to an international audience, you put a bullet point up and you actually want to read it word for word. Because if you elaborate and say something different, the audience who perhaps English is a second language is trying to read in writing what you put and then comprehend verbally what you're saying. And they're two different things. Right. So what are some of those tricks? How do you actually walk out of that room, whether you're teaching or you're pitching an idea or proposal to an organization or a stakeholder? How do you know when you walk out that they've truly comprehended? Because we oftentimes, how many times have you in classes? Does everybody understand? And you just get those like blank stares and nods, but there's really nothing behind that substance of a response. It's, it's just more of a, yeah, we understand because now class is over. Can we leave? Right. How do you know that? How do you well, measure not only that? I think the other part of that is, is you know, we, we get this maybe even more. Is, does everybody understand? And then they they lie to you. <laughs> they look right at you and tell you, yes, we understand. Uh, I mean, the blank stares would actually be a good indication that they didn't understand, but they actually lie and say, yeah, we understand, we get it. And then we go to apply it or we go to the next lab or whatever it is. Next, and they're like, you realize you didn't understand. I mean, how often, I mean, we can joke about, all right, people putting together PowerPoint slides for defenses and things like that. It's like, listen, we told you like 12 different times how to cite this what the expectation is here. And you told us you understood and the product you've given us clearly indicates you either weren't listening or that you don't understand. And that lost in translation piece is, is an actual, a real, real phenomenon. And, and, you know, so I've gone on record other times saying, all right, whose responsibility is it 
when there's a breakdown in communication or a lack of clarity? Is it the is it the receiver, the receiver of the information, or is it the giver of the information? Now, I've gone on record to say it's the onus of the leader. I mean, the responsibility falls on the leader to make sure that the people understand. Now, that's what I would say. Uh, in in that's why anyways I'm going on record as saying that, but I will also quickly say there's only so much a leader can do. There's only so much a leader can say. I mean, like the example we just gave, twelve times on how to do a reference and how to cite papers and that, and then give them the links and all that. I mean, at some point the onus does switch to the listener, so that's a real factor. But I do think, and I still I still I still believe that most of the time the onus is on the leader to make sure that what is being communicated is understood. And your, your example about the international audience is huge because I know that firsthand, you know, that firsthand. And then we have, we have athletic trainers, for example, who want to speak abroad and speak at conferences and things like this. And, and they use the communication coaching that they get from YouTube videos and in their college professors classes of, yeah, put your point up there, put your picture up there and then use it as a springboard. I want to reiterate what you said. And that's, that only works with an audience where English is their first language and their, and their, and their first experiential background. But when you're in another group, I've done, I made that mistake where I realize what's they're reading, what's behind me, not listening to what I'm saying, because they can't even comprehend that fast anyways. And so they just have to read what's up there. And if what I'm saying is different from what's up there, they are beyond lost. And I say that translates over to business as well. When you're pitching an idea, pitching a product, an elevator speech, all the things that we talk about, if, if we're not making sure that there's coherence and alignment between what we're saying and what other vibe or other product we're putting out there, we've lost them. Yeah, I, I think there's shared responsibility, right? So I'm going to use the analogy of sports uh, in football. You know, if I'm the quarterback, I've got to put the ball in the right spot. And when we say it's catchable, that was a catchable ball. I've done my job delivering the message, but then the receiver has got to do their job. But there are times where, I didn't put the ball in the right spot and there's no chance in the world the receiver could have caught that. So it's completely all on me. Now translate that into the business world. I'm giving a pitch to a company that's asked me to come in and help them minimize the risk of injuries in their office space. And if I don't understand that what they're really looking at is the bottom line in dollars and my message when I pitch to them is how I'm gonna teach them about posture and these are the things we're gonna implement, that's all fine and dandy, but it's a different language. I'm speaking a foreign language to them. And I have to understand that when I deliver my message, then it may be a really good message, but not to that stakeholder. And so I'm not doing my job. I am the leader in that standpoint. They've given me an opportunity, deliver me a message and sell me on what you can do. And if I don't sell them on what they want to hear, what do they want to hear? That I'm the expert, I can do this. And by the program that I deliver, I will cut your costs and reduce your injuries. And it's actually really simple, but we do these things all the time. I mean, this is what we do with reports and papers. A lot of people know what they wanna say and do in their mind, but then to put it in writing or to deliver it in a presentation, it's not automatic. Those are tremendously high level skill sets to deliver that. And yes, you know what? You can deliver the message, you can do your job. And on the other end, sometimes, 
there's the fault if that person is not comprehending and receiving if you've done as best as you can. But this is why you learn from others, you learn situationally, right. and you get better at doing this. It's not a one size fits all. Yeah, that's you know. So so the message here and what I what I'm drawing is this understanding of not leader. So how can we do this? Like, let me just back up. And, and so what is some practical recommendations and practical advice we can give our listeners would be like, all right, so as a leader, someone who's communicating ideas to other people, content to other people, what can I do? Here's what I would say, because first thing I would say, it is not enough to have good content. It is just not, I, mean, I don't care. I'll fight with you on this. If you, if you push back, it is just not enough to have good content. And we've got tons of people out there who do have great content and they're wondering, why can't I be, you know, we joke, we just, we did this tweet war here, I don't know, a few days ago. Hey, Dr. Coots, hey, Dr. Conan, how many, how many people ask you if they can sit in your suitcase, you know, when you're traveling abroad and carry your bag, stuff like this, like, you know, and these people who are tweeting these are respectable professionals, you know I mean? And, and they're wondering how can I, and they've got great content and I don't, and I'm not dissing their content. But there's, you have to have more than just great content. And, and what I think this is and what the recommendation I would make is, yes, develop your content. And you to get to the table, you have to be a content expert. But then to go beyond that content expert to that, that space of thought leadership is about not only having your content expertise, but it's also about understanding the filter of your listeners. And that's where I think the biggest breakdown occurs is that lost in translation piece that we're talking about is the people who speak your language and know your stuff and, and understand leadership background. If I use my background or if in your case, cannabis and things like that, and they under, they're going to agree with you. They're going to know because they have the context for it. But how do you communicate the importance of whether it's yeah. cannabis, whether it's leadership or anything to someone who doesn't have the filter well, and that lens through which to see things? The answer is you as the communicator, as the thought leader, as the content expert, you need to be very well versed and very familiar with the filter, the values filter, the, 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 the worth filter of the stakeholders on the other end. And if you don't know why they're there and what's in it for them, you're not going to be able to communicate clearly. And I think that's kind of what Napoleon was doing. So you have to be, so you have to, what you're saying, that next level is a communication expert, essentially. And here's the funny thing. We've all seen this. There are some phenomenal communication experts who lack content, but their communication skills in understanding how to deliver a message and who the audience is, is so effective that they influence the learning and belief of others. But how many, how many times have you been in something like that? Like, my God, that was riveting. What a presentation. And I walk away and say, what the hell did they just say? Right. What was the content? I didn't learn it. What did they just say? But they had my attention the whole time. Phenomenal communicator, but there's no substance. Right. And we have our share of those in the profession too. Don't kid yourself. Communication trumps content every time. So somebody, somebody listening to me right now, to us right now, was just shocked by that statement because as an evidence-based profession, and as a competency-driven educational foundation of what we do, we place content and you know the knowledge we can generate from scientific inquiry pretty high on the totem pole, as we should. But I want to. I'm gonna say some. I'm gonna say it again because it is. If you think about the implications of what I'm saying, it's it's heretical to basically to a to an evidence-based profession, and that's 
communication skills trumps content knowledge. And that goes to what you're saying. So the ethical, responsible thing to do as a leader is have both. And that's what I think is really critical. We have to, we have to, we must do our due diligence to develop the capacity to be content experts and also what you said, communication experts. Merge those two together. That's when you have the winning equation, when those two things are working together. Hey, Matt, take yourself to every conference you've been to. AT, state, district, national, any other conference, and put yourself at the end of the day after the meetings in a social environment. Who's going to carry the room? Who's going to have the presence? The person who just talks the content and is the smartest person in the room when the content part of the day is over, or the person who can carry a conversation is very interpersonal. They have a presence about them, how they look, how they dress, how they interact with confidence. The communication piece, I totally agree with you is always going to trump the content. And how many times have you been in presentations where this is the expert of the world talking about X, Y, or Z, and then putting you to sleep? Right. Because it can't convey it in a way that engages you. And we talk about this all the time in our academic program, helping people try to understand the importance of engaging the audience and having openers and closers and, and, and whatever you need to do so that the message you're conveying is retained effectively. And you're 100% right. Communication will always, always, always trump content expertise. Knowing knowing that audience filter is huge. I mean, I can't tell you how many times that I've heard the same talk by a presenter who is very good, by the way, and but the audience is different enough and they don't change up how they present it or change up what they're doing. And again, it goes back to understanding the people who are listening need to be able to clearly understand what it is, what it is you're trying to communicate. And if you're using the same style, you know, I use the, in my workshops and in my corporate training, I use the example of carrying multiple currencies in your wallet. When you're with one group, you know, when I'm in the, we all know this, right? I use dollars here. I use francs there. I use Europe euros over there, you know, and that just makes sense to us. We understand. I can't transact business with this people group if I have the wrong currency, same thing's true in a speaking situation or in a, in a strict, and it, I, know, I don't just mean at a academic conference or a, or, a, or a professional development learning conference. This applies when you're in an elevator. This applies when you're pitching an idea to a colleague. This applies when you're in the water cooler, you know, after, after the office, you know, whatever it might be. And we need to understand that when the context changes and the environment changes, the currency we use to communicate has to change with that context. What most people do is they expect the people who are listening to just take the currency that I'm offering. And I'd say that's where the mistake is made. I shouldn't expect people to take the currency that I'm offering. I need to read the room well enough to know that this person wants euros, that person wants dollars, and this third person wants francs. And I need to have all three currencies on me to make sure that that clearly articulates and clearly gets transferred. And it's, again, this strategic clarity or or whatever we end up titling this talk when we're done I think it's it's really important for us to get to that space and understand that. Yeah, and, and, it, and it can't be with amateur approaches, right? So when you're speaking to someone who doesn't understand English well, what do we do? We speak louder and slower. They still don't understand what we're talking about. There you go. No, but, you know, I know that you probably, you have a certain preference, say, 
when you're going to do a corporate presentation that I'm Matt Coots and this is how I dress and how I look because it all starts before you open your mouth. It starts with the presence of when you walk in the room. And I will always ask people where I go, tell me about your audience. How is it most effective on how I dress? So when I'm going to a university and I'm talking to them about cannabis, okay, cannabis is Jeff, the science content expert. I need to change that word and call it marijuana. Even though in, from a scientific standpoint, we're trying to get rid of the word marijuana and use cannabis. When I go speak to this group, it's marijuana in all my slides and out of my mouth. And when I go speak to that group, there better not be a tie on me. No sport coat. You know, I'm going in a quarter zip with sneakers, sweatpants, maybe cut jeans. I need to fit in so that they look at me and, and say, okay, he gets it maybe before he starts speaking. But if I walked in with a coat and tie, you know, like I was at a scientific meeting, I have zero street credibility in front of the audience. And so I think the communication piece goes a long way in addition to just um, how you convey the message verbally uh, and visually on slides, but in your appearance in general. You can carry a room the minute you walk in, people judge you before you say a word. That's right. And that's that, that's that, you know, that's the strategic part, right? I mean, strategic clarity is exactly what you're talking about there because your your credibility is being assessed before you open your mouth. And that's 100%. another thing that people don't understand or few people understand or really get the, the weight and gravity of that. Again, it's more important than most people think. Is it is it the most important thing? No, it's not. But is it more important than most people realize? Yes, it is. And I do the exact same thing. And again, I mean, we, we haven't talked about this, but it's important. I ask every group who's going to be there. Who's in the attendance? What's the main, you know, who's going to be in attendance and things like that. That's really, really important. And if I walk in and treat well, the professional look is always a suit and tie, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And you're just always safe with that. False. False. You are not always safe with a suit and tie and a full formal look and button the top button and, you know, all the coach match your belt with your shoes and, you know, all the stuff you're supposed to do, you know. Uh, that only works in certain audiences, but there are other audiences where, again, if you want to be clear and cons and you need to be strategic about that, and that's one of those pieces as well. So know your audience, know what's expected from the vibe of the room. Is it is it a casual? Is it end of the day? I've spoken at I've spoken at academic conferences where they intentionally take you into a resort town kind of area because they want to decompress. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a silly, a, I know people don't give me, I get a lot of grief, but I do these talks on these cruise ships and, you know, it's a professional conference. It's a professional association. These people are executive vice presidents, CEOs, you know, and, and they wear a suit and tie to work every day. And you think, well, okay, well, yeah, I'm going to wear a suit. If I showed up with even us, if I didn't show, if I showed up with a button down shirt, <laughs> You know, uh, they're, they're going to be like, um, who is this guy? Why is he here? And he doesn't get why we're here. You hey, know? I went to, I went to a big sky conference for the first time in my life this year. And, you know, they flat out tell you when you're coming out there, do not wear sport coats, ties, any of that kind of work attire. And so I had a presentation that was the first one in the afternoon one day. I think it was two or three o'clock that followed the afternoon break. So, you know, when I looked up in my audience, People were strolling in. They weren't all there ready but to start. And they were coming in in their ski boots. They had icicles dripping off their beards. They still had their helmet on with their goggles on top. And someone kept their gloves on because the room was really cold. 
That was my audience. And that was the first time I ever gave a presentation in a sweatsuit at a professional conference. And it felt really, really cool to be relaxed and fit in. I mean, the best I could have done on top of that was to have, you know, skis on while I was standing up at the podium. But let's take this to another level, though. If we were to call, you and I called five different people right now and said, athletic trainers, said, hey, you got 45 seconds to give us your elevator pitch on what is athletic training. You know as well as I do, we get completely 10 different answers from 10 people in the exact same profession. They would mumble and stumble and pause and not know what they're saying. And the person who would come across the most effective to us is who had the smoothest communication style that we would then be convinced. Now, we know what athletic training is. So while they're doing that, we're listening for key points. But to a lay person who would hear all these 10 people, the person who just spoke the smoothest, even if what they said was 100% inaccurate, they would come across as the most effective communicator. Right. And then, so, so that goes into my, I did some research. This is years ago, old research, and it's published in, in one of our journals. And I looked at the, the, the professional leadership skills of students uh, versus, uh, and, and how they, versus their clinical competency. And we use evaluator ratings and all those kinds of things and their preceptor ratings and all that. And what we found out is the more confident the student was in their perception and, and how they promoted themselves as a professional and communication, all the kinds of things, regardless of their clinical preparedness or competency, they were perceived as more effective. So the less competent they were, the more you could make up for that in exactly what you're talking about by smooth communication, consistent communication, being convincing in your communication was one of those factors. And you're absolutely right. With people who don't know better, they're going to go with who sounds the smoothest and who sounds the best transition. And, and that's why it's, again, it's critically important back to our original point, because we're about out of time here. Uh, that's why it's critically important that we're strategic in our communication and that we go through great lengths to make sure that the people who are listening to us and receiving on the receiving end of whatever it is, is being said that they actually understand what's being said without that clarity damage can be done. I mean, just think of giving instructions to patients, patient education. Okay, you're giving you're giving instructions to patients who have no medical, probably have no medical background, very little medical background. You're describing exercises you want them to do at home and how proper techniques and and all that kind of thing. And they might not have any background of having any history working out, fitness, or anything like that. You have to communicate with them in in a very intentional, strategically clear way. And you have to make sure that they understand more than just, yes, I understand. And give them the, the little piece of paper that's got the photocopied picture of the of the exercises on. I've seen people take those pictures and, you know, the VCI, I think VMI or VCI cards or whatever they used to be back years ago, you know, and, and, and you have these little pictures and they're using the extra and they're seeing it. They've got a picture in front of them and they're still doing it completely wrong. They're just making up all the steps and stages in between the one main picture. And it's like, how did you get that exercise out of this picture? And, and that's, that's not on them. That's on us. No, you know, no, we, we've got to make those. sure we're clear. I remember those days. Um, we used to do that on purpose. You know, we're going to show you this exercise and then come back tomorrow and show us how you did it at home. And I have seen no idea what we showed them is what they were doing. I mean, it was pretty, pretty commonplace to see that, but okay. So let's finish on this. Let me ask you, uh, maybe say your three most important tips for people to help them understand 
how to become a more effective strategic communicator. All right. So for me, number one is like I already said, make sure that you understand what filter your audience is using. You know, what background do they come with? What currency are they taking? You have to do your homework on who's receiving the information from you. So you have to do that. I guess the second thing I would say is make sure you become better, however good you already are, make sure you become better at asking clarifying questions. And, you know, we talk about active listening and how important that is and all that. And I think, you know, and that's important, but I think it's more important to ask clarifying questions. So these open-ended questions, not just do you understand me? It's like, all right, explain back to me, repeat back to me. Can you can you describe it? I put this in you. So whatever I just said, put it in your own words. That's my favorite. Yeah. What I what I do is have a motivational interviewing concept. Basically. Exactly, exactly right. Put it in your own words. All right. So how? And then the the other question or the third thing is like, so how can you take what you heard today and put it into action tomorrow? And then they're going to describe that whatever that is. And if it, if it is, yes, that's a good application of what I was saying, or did they completely miss it? So that's what, those are, that's what I would say. I'm going to start on three simple concepts. I'm going to challenge everybody listening to this to write down the three things that you complain about when others are communicating. Let's say they're doing a presentation. What are you constantly walking away saying, oh, I hate when that person does this, or they're not doing this. Write those three things down. Ask yourself, are you guilty of those three things? And if not, if you think you do them well, articulate yourself verbally through it. How do I do this well? And then keep doing this until you find areas that you realize you're equally as challenged in and challenge yourself to get better. Very good. Strategic clarity. Coots and Conan are out. 